Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello and welcome to Scran, the podcast passionate about the Scottish food and drink scene. I'm your host, Rosalind Erskine, and this week we're talking drinks, namely cocktails and coffee. I wanted to find out what was happening in these worlds and what kinds of trends are being seen at the moment. First up, I spoke to Michele Mariotti, Head of Bars at the Glenegos Hotel. Michele told me all about recent changes in focus at the hotel and what's going on in the glorious playground, as it's known. Michele talks about what's new in the world of cocktails, including some interesting chat around using cheese and sushi rice. He also gives us a preview of the new cocktail menu they're introducing this autumn, which sounds delicious, by the way. It tends to change a lot depending on what uh, city or market you're in, you know, because I think it depends on what uh, the people that you like you serve ultimately want to drink. Next up, I chatted to Lisa Lawson of Deer Green Coffee Roasters in Glasgow. We hear about how Lisa came to set up the business and how it has evolved, as well as her take on some recent fads in the coffee world and just how important it has been to focus on sustainability something they were recently recognised for at the Scran Awards. Just to have a cold coffee on a really hot sunny day is really delicious because the last thing you want is a you know, hot coffee when it's so warm outside. An extension of that has been the espresso tonic, which is like super refreshing and feels like you're having something really tasty and well-crafted and, you know, like having a cocktail. I'm joined by Michele Mariotti, who is the new head of bar at Glen Eagles. Hi, Michele, how are you? Oh, I'm great. Thank you for having me. How are you? Good, yeah, thank you. Um, I'm in a good mood today because we're here to talk about cocktails, which is one of my favourite things. So before we get into cocktails and your role um, and things to look forward to, could you just kind of tell us a bit about your background and how you got into your current job? I was born in the northeast of Italy, and um, so like my, my hometown is nested in between the Alps and the, and the seaside, and we tend to get a lot of tourists there. So it is quite common for um, for people to work in hospitality during summertime, especially when you're a teenager. Uh, it helps you get some pocket money, you see. Uh, so essentially, what uh, what I did I ended up working in this five star hotel um, during my studies, and uh, what I really enjoyed about it was the fact that uh, like. Hospitality used to be slightly different, like when I started, um, especially in these uh, big resorty areas, because people used to spend a lot of time in one location, like uh, because it's so much easier to travel these days. Uh, people tend to hop from one destination to the other or change destination every year. While back in the days, because there was limited information, people used to find one place they liked and just stick there uh, to that specific location. So then you had a lot of regular guests that would come over and just visit uh, the hotel so they could spend time in the bar with the with the head bartender, uh, this guy called Ricardo. And it was the funniest guy I've ever met. And just the atmosphere was so positive. And, um, you know, I, I get a lot of energy from the people around me. And, uh, you know, I was all of a sudden catapulted into this environment where everyone came in to have a good time, right? Which is what a bar is all about. 
And so they kind of stuck with me. So then when I completed my studies and I ended up working in a travel agency, um, I, I, I really, I really couldn't, couldn't do it. I really didn't like it. I, I didn't like the atmosphere on a Monday morning in an office uh, where everybody comes in and it just they don't really want to be there. Um, so I, I couldn't wait to go back in bars, really. Uh, so that's why I eventually decided to make a career out of it. And then uh, I moved to London to pursue a career uh, in, in cocktail bars. And then the rest is history. I guess. Yeah. So you've you're now head of bars at Glen Eagles. Um, obviously that's what you're doing now. So how how does it feel to work in such like an iconic Scottish hotel? I mean the location's lovely, the hotel's lovely. How, was that always like a goal? Is um, how does it feel? Uh, I spent the main bulk of my time uh, early in my career uh, in London at the Savoy, uh, which is a very iconic property. And I remember, uh, like, uh, it's um, like when you are in the working in hotels, you always know about other hotels and what they're doing. And and Greenigo has always been one of these iconic properties. Um, it has a strong beverage background. It used to be owned by a company called Diageo, which uh, is quite it's a big distributor and uh, one of the biggest whiskey brands out there. So I always had like sort of legendary status in my mind. Um, so then when the opportunity came, uh, I, I couldn't couldn't wait to to jump in. So it's a very it's a very iconic property, and I think it's going through some uh, uh, some huge changes at the moment. Uh, specifically because we, we're sort of shifting away. We used to be quite monothematical in terms of how we presented ourselves. We used to be quite uh, golf focused. Uh, but like since uh, we have been acquired by our current uh, company, which is Anismore in 2016, we are uh, um, really transforming it into what we like to refer to as a glorious playground. So there's hundreds of different activities you can do there from from shooting to falconry to zip lining, off road driving, you name it. And uh, we like the cool thing about it is that we have so many people that work in there that are so passionate about what they do and it's just so inspiring like we i was i spent the whole day yesterday with uh, our head of uh, pursuits his name is yuri uh, we were out looking for locations uh, where to shoot the trailers for our new cocktail menu and uh, we just drove through some incredible bits of countryside here in perthshire and he knows all the good spots and he knows all the flora and fauna and it's such an interesting thing it's so inspiring so yeah, I'm I'm quite happy with uh, with, with this. I think uh, Green Eagles uh, tries to represent the best that Scotland has to offer, and and they they use a lot of very talented individuals to do so. Um, you know, so and they have the freedom to perform and to deliver what what they're very passionate about, right? Which is which is ultimately what you want to think in a, in a business of our size. And what was it like moving from London up to Perthshire? Obviously, it's quite different in terms of location. I had it even worse, actually. Uh, so because I moved from uh, originally, so I moved from London to Singapore. So I had three years uh, stint in Singapore. Uh, I was working at Mandarin Oriental there. And then uh, eventually uh, we, yeah, then the opportunity to move back to Scotland, like to the UK and move to Scotland, uh, like uh, came to fruition. So, yeah, it's very, very different. Um, I think. I still miss large cities, so I still tend to get a, a city injection every now and then, uh, approximately once once a month or so. Uh, my role also allows me to travel a fair bit, so that's probably why uh, I'm still in contact with cities. Uh, but uh, yeah, no, I think there are there's a lot of like interesting things that happen. Like I'll give an example. So during lockdown, we were staying. It's like I moved here just before uh, before COVID. So during lockdown, myself and my wife we were. Um, living in this little cottage in the middle of uh, the golf courses. And 
we decided to start to do some gardening. We had a huge garden. We didn't know what to do. We had a glorious uh, spring, as you know, with the, uh, during the first lockdown. So we ended up planting all sorts of vegetables, including carrots. And then within uh, like two weeks of us having our carrots, our uh, garden was flooded with bunnies. So like, <laughs> so then I was chasing bunnies out of the garden with a brush because I wanted to eat my carrots. And I thought this is hilarious. So yeah, different challenges from a city, but uh, like very welcome ones. So it, it's a beautiful environment. So and you know, like Gleneagles itself can be very very busy. It's a big big beast. Uh, but like when you're out of the building. It's it, it's so peaceful and quiet, and it's just you're just surrounded by such beautiful nature. So it didn't require much of, a, of an adjustment, you know. The only thing that I miss is sushi. So yeah, some, sometimes uh, I go to cities for sushi. Yeah. Over the years, you must have seen quite a lot of trends in drinks and cocktails. I mean, I know myself. I sort of have noticed that they've become more kind of complex, and people kind of appreciate them more. And, and bartenders are becoming a bit more like chefs in terms of what they do. So, what would you say are your main sort of uh, takeaway? from working in bars for years has been in trends and drinks? So, I mean, in terms of trends, um, I see it more as a constant evolution of what we do. When I started bartending, there was zero, absolute zero talk about waste or how to reuse waste or how to minimize waste. Uh, the, the final goal was always to make sure that we had the best ingredients available at any given time. It didn't matter where they come from or, or what they are or, or how much of it you actually use. Uh, so waste has always been one of those things that, like I remember coming from like, you know, you come from a regular household and then the moment you start working in a five-star hotel, you realize, God, we're, we're throwing away a lot of stuff. So I think that's one of, uh, of, of the first changes that I've noticed is that there's this, uh, a huge, uh, um, like there, there's a, a bit more of an understanding of, of what the, the impact of waste is and, and how is it that you can reduce it. Not only like even if just for a pure selfish reasons, how can you reduce your operating costs by reducing the amount of stuff you throw away, which makes a lot of sense, right? So I think that was probably one of the things there that I'm quite uh, glad uh, started to change. But then also, like in terms of trends, I think um, bars can only be as good as the consumer. So like, because at the end of the day, we provide something that consumers want. So I think it tends to change a lot depending on what uh, city or market you're in, you know, because I think it depends on what uh, the people that you like you serve ultimately want to drink. Um, To give you an example. So in Singapore, people really liked stuff from Southeast Asia because most of the cocktail bars uh, there cater for uh, expats and uh, American born Chinese. So. And generally speaking, you cater for people that interact with the city like uh, on a on a sporadic basis. So, you know, they land a couple of days and then they're out. So they want to try something that's from the area. Uh, and then because Singapore is quite small, same for Hong Kong, really, they want to try the extended Southeast Asia bit. So um, one of the things that we did there, we part, we did uh, we launched this program called Nomadic Foragers, where we uh, traveled to 70 different countries and we partner with different producers, markets or bartenders to source ingredients or materials that we could then reimport into Singapore. And if they were fruits and veg, we'd uh, partner with the indoor farms. So we'd, we'd bring in the, the seeds and then we'll, we'll get them locally there. And I think there are a lot of similarities with Green Eagles uh, because of um, the fact that uh, we have a quite uh, sizable number of guests that uh, want to experience, the, as we said earlier on, the best that Scotland has to offer. So what we try to do uh, with our menus there is to try to bring this to life. And then sometimes... Um, you know, paired with what we discussed before, way of, of using 100% of the ingredients around us, I think that's probably the best way to summarize 
uh, our our main cocktail program across the main bars, which are the Century Bar and American Bar. So try to minimize our wastage, try to make menus that are accessible and they're the best representation of what uh, Scotland or Petshire has to have to offer. One of the things I've noticed this year that people are using sushi rice in cocktails and cheese in cocktails. Could you t- could you tell us a little bit about why the sort of science behind that um, and you know wh- why people might be doing that, especially cheese, because that's kind of any time I've mentioned this to anyone, they've gone ugh. <laughs> cheese, cheese. <laughs> but to be fair, cheese comes in all uh, shapes and sizes. Uh, so. I think uh, when you say cheese and cocktails, people immediately think blue cheese, probably, uh, which is, uh, you know, which think, come to think of it, it's something that's been in our industry for a while, um, especially in martinis. Um, in the U.S., uh, having uh, olive stuffed with blue cheese in your martini uh, is, is a very common thing to do. So, like, cheese and cocktails have been around for a while, but, uh, you know, there's all sorts of things that you can, you can have in there. Cream cheese is another great one, for instance. We have a drink on the... Um, on the on the American bar menu, so the, the menu there is called the Book of Berries. So all the drinks there are made from some sort of berries. Uh, the menu is inspired by pocket encyclopedias that were very popular in the UK between the 1920s and 1997, called uh, the Observer's Books. So essentially, they were monothematical encyclopedias, very colorful little booklets. You'd have like flora and fauna of Perthshire, like birds of prey, that sort of thing. So we decided to go for the book of berries, which are botanical berries. So we have uh, pumpkins and squashes and avocados and no strawberries and raspberries. And one of the drinks there is called blueberry, uh, which is a botanical berry. Uh, But uh, instead of getting blueberries, we uh, reuse... um, uh, blueberry muffins from uh, breakfast. So we obviously prepare an awful amount of, of, of blueberry muffins and there's only so many muffins people can eat, uh, including myself. So then we use just a bunch a day and we infuse them into vodka, but they come with some cream cheese in the middle. So this allows us to retain all these fats. So then whenever we blend them into vodka and then basically what we do, we take this mixture, we put it in the freezer, all the solids solidify. So then we can get a clear vodka out of it that really tastes of of, of muffin, but the, the cheese, some of the some of the lactose in the cheese, really transfers a lot of the texture into the drink. So it gives you this beautiful, creamy, silky texture, uh, and you get up, uh, and the vodka is packed with the flavor of blueberry muffin. So, um, you know, I think it's a great way to add the texture to to some of the drinks, uh, cheese and milk specifically, uh, because of the high lactose content. But then when, it, when we talk about the things like um, like rice, uh, to give an example, I think one of the great things that rice uh, does is that it's quite rich in starch, so it can be quite starchy. And starchy, starch is something that gives you texture again. Uh, so we use it in a drink. Uh, so there's a co- twist on a cocktail called White Lady. White Lady is a quite classic drink uh, that is made out of uh, gin, uh, citrus, uh, usually lemon, uh, an orange liqueur, and then um, it is a drink that uh, it's a classic drink that uh, went uh, in print in the Savoy Cocktail Book in 1920, and uh, it can contain egg white sometimes, and sometimes it doesn't. Depend on which book you find. Uh, egg white is uh, purely used there for texture, so you add egg white and then you blend it, and it just makes you gives you a fluffy drink. Uh, what uh, the drink that we're working on at the moment um, um, re- removes the egg white and adds uh, the starch that you can get from rice. So essentially what we do, we take the rice, uh, we agitate it into the gin. 
So we release all these beautiful starches in there that give you a lot of texture. And then we're left with these beautiful rice, which we then cook, and then we turn into a crisp to add uh, on top of the drink. So we can use 100% of that bit of rice. Also, like a lot of people, like uh, like egg white is one of those ingredients that not everybody sup- it's a fan of. So supplementing it with something that it, it's uh, a non-animal like uh, thickener, it, it's uh, it's something that people are really, really like. So. Oh, that's, that's good to know. Um, so no one's putting a big block of blue cheese in their drinks. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> not yet, not yet. Give us a few years and we'll get there. Um, no, but I think, you know, also like in terms of cheese, I've seen there's like a couple of recipes going on uh, right now with, um, uh, I've checked online with like, uh, I popped on my Instagram feed the other day of people adding a little bit of uh, of, of Parmesan cheese on an espresso martini. I don't know if you've seen, uh, if you've seen this, but I think, you know, uh, that there are... Um, you know, there's lots of ways you can implement uh, savory ingredients, and I think it's probably one of the more untapped pool of ingredients that we have in bars at the moment because we we tend to produce uh, ingredients that are we tend to produce drinks that are sweet. Uh, like you know, I think sugar it, it does wonderful things for drinks because it helps you not only enhance the texture but also to open up the flavor um, of, of drinks. Uh, there is a classic cocktail called the Old Fashioned um, that uses uh, bitters, which is basically an alcoholic infusion of herbs and spices, uh, whiskey, and then uh, a little bit of sugar. And uh, you'd be surprised, but that little bit of sugar really helps you open up the flavors that you find in whiskey uh, and, and the bitters, and they really elevate that, that drinking experience, you know, and they also add a little bit of texture in there. So I think sugar is a great flavor enhancer, and that's why we use it quite a lot in in in, in drinks. But uh, savory drinks are still, uh, you know, like they account for like one percent of the total drinks. Uh, you know, like the only th- drink I can think of that most people would be able to recognize is a is a Bloody Mary. You know, as being probably one of the the main savory drinks. But like, there's a whole plethora of savory drinks out there, and I think adding a bit of cheese here and there will, will just make it larger and larger. You know, uh, as a, as a pool. Yeah. So we're in summer just now and uh, I don't know if you'll appreciate this or not, but everyone is drinking Aperol Spritz. What do you think we're all going to be drinking come autumn and winter? And off the back of that, can you tell us a bit about your new menu that's launching? Yeah. So I think, uh, first of all, um, I think uh, it's incredible. I find it absolutely remarkable to see what uh, Aperol managed to achieve because uh, I think it was a relatively unknown brand less than a decade ago. And now, like you see, Aperol Spritz is everywhere. So it's, uh, and you know, being Italian myself is something that fills me with joy a little bit, uh, especially because I come from the Northeast, where uh, Aperol is super, super popular. So that's uh, that's a good one there. But yeah, no, I think generally speaking, when it comes to autumn and winter drinks, people tend to move more towards the more full-bodied and spirit-forward drinks. So everything that encompasses uh, like uh, martinis, manhattans, old fashions, that sort of thing, as we discussed earlier on. In terms of like our menus, they cycle for about a year. So the content that we have to include in our menu usually has to uh, give us enough variety of drinks for us to cover all seasons. There is a certain element of change in there. So we have some ingredients that are relatively seasonal that we can we can play around with and we can change uh, so we can swap some in the, uh, drinks here and there. There are some ingredients that we tend to champion uh, during uh, during autumn. One of the main ones is pumpkin. There's a lot of bits that you can get out of pumpkin. Uh, we like to use the seeds a lot. Seeds are like... Uh, somewhat uh, underutilized, I believe. So what we do usually with pumpkin seeds, we just gently roast them in an oven for a bit until they they pick up a little bit of color. And then we add some rose flower water 
some uh, actual water and a little bit of sugar. And then we just blend the whole thing and it turns into this very, very thick syrup. So uh, syrups made from seeds, uh, they're called orjat and it's shelf stable, stays forever. And it just is, uh, they have this beautiful, uh, fresh and grassy flavor. And you can just, uh, like we, we basically, we did, we make a, um, a whiskey highball. So we add whiskey, a little bit of uh, coconut water and this orjat. So it's a quite sim- simple drink, really. But uh, orjats are great because you can always keep them in the fridge. Uh, they last forever, ever, uh, if you add enough sugar. And then you can just top them up with sparkling water. So, you know, I think that there's, there's lots of bits there. Yeah, generally speaking, when it comes to our menu, the way that we have decided to um, go about it this time. So we like to um, conceptualize our menus for the for both bars. So basically, by that we mean we give it a theme. So the theme uh, for this menu, it's inspired by our gr- glorious surroundings. So we did, what we've decided to do is to bring to life four idyllic Scottish landscapes. Uh, so we have uh, div- divided our 24 drinks in four categories that go from uh, the glens and rivers to the locks, seasides and harbors and forests. And each section tries to encapsulate some of the flavors that we have in those uh, in, in those areas. And, uh, and we use those as, as a mean for people to uh, navigate through the menu. So the menu is going to look like a little notebook that you have if you were an explorer going around Scotland with like handwritten notes here and there and, 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 and that. So, yeah, I'm quite excited about it. So we'll be launching it uh, somewhere mid-September. Uh, so I can't wait to have some of you over uh, for a couple of cocktails, but yeah. Yeah, no, it sounds great. And obviously you've been working on that. Are you planning anything for the next half of the year into next year? What can we look forward to? There's another couple of things that we'll be working on. As a hotel, uh, we have quite a lot of beverage-led activations in there that help us uh, keep people entertained. One of the things that we will be doing soon uh, will be a um, um, something that we like to call the Autumn Pass. So essentially, it's a room package uh, uh, that uh, people can book, um, and they get uh, exclusive access to a um, lounge where people will be able to try um, cocktails that are based on uh, Talisker whiskey. There will be a selection of five which are inspired by the cycle of leaves. Uh, so uh, during autumn, leaves tend to change in color. So we have decided to have five different drinks that cover these five col- uh, spectrums of color that we have the, during um, this time. And, and the, the flavors in the drinks reflect the color uh, that they are assigned. The people will be able to have uh, stargazing walks and uh, walks with owls. And then there's going to be the usual stuff here and there. I'm sure there's going to be some shooting here and there. There's going to be some axe throwing. So all sorts of activities that people can access from the lounge. And then basically there's going to be a pickup point where you can start your, your, your own little autumn adventure. So I'm quite excited about that. That's going to be quite nice. And uh, yeah, um, axe throwing is a great activity as long as you do it. Um, uh, like it's a good way to get out of your negative energy. And it's good if you do it with, uh, with someone you like, because if you do it with someone you don't like, you might not have throwing at axe, uh, at axes at each other, which is not super. <laughs> and, and so long as you're doing it sober as well. <laughs> uh, true, true, that's true. Uh, actually, uh, c- coming to that, we strongly believe that non-alcoholic drinks should give you the same experience that alcoholic drinks do. And I think sometimes we've put so much energy into our alcoholic drinks and Non-alcoholic sometimes can be a little bit of an afterthought. We uh, de-alcoholize a lot of spirits for non-alcoholic experiences. So we have a, a machine that basically allows us to distill alcohol out. So we can um, drastically reduce the alcohol uh, content into some of our uh, spirits. So we have, for instance, uh, 12% tequila or uh, 10% whiskey. So quite, quite low alcohol, um, but still packed with flavor. So we can still deliver drinks 
once you put it in a cocktail, the cocktail itself will go probably below 2-3% alcohol, which you know, it's nearly alcohol-free. We try to minimize alcohol intake if people don't want to drink, So, um, but still give them this full undiluted uh, cocktail experience. When you're not working and you're not hang- in Glen Eagles, where's your favorite bar or bars? I, I, I know this might sound a little bit of a cliche, but I think uh, I think Edinburgh, to begin with, um, ex- especially in recent years, uh, has, has developed a, a, an offering which is very complete. So there's lots of very, very cool bars there. I think... Uh, Lots of cutting-edge uh, cool bars, but also bars that deliver delicious, uh, well-made classic cocktails. So there's there's a lot there. Um, London, obviously, it's another great city that we have here in the UK that has a lot of, of cool cocktail bars. Uh, but like globally, I think um, a, a trip to Barcelona is always welcome. Um, I think it has the highest concentration of bars that happen to be in world's 50 best bars. Uh, so it's a big list that we have here in our industry. Uh, so I think Barcelona is fantastic. There's a lot of um, uh, of uh, very, very interesting and niche uh, cocktail bars yeah. in there. That sounds great. Thank you very much. Um, and yeah, good luck with the menu launch. And it sounds like it's going to be a great autumn. And we'll need to come up and visit. So thank you. Please, please don't be a stranger. Can't wait to have you over. Thank you. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much. So I'm now at Deer Green Coffee Roastery in Glasgow with founder Lisa Lawson. Hi Lisa, how are you? Hi, I'm okay. Thank you. Thanks for visiting. That's all right. So we're here. You've got really nice, colourful kind of coffee themed artwork on on a, a wall. Um, it smells amazing. Um, you've got all your sort of coffee and equipment behind us, but we're sat at a big wooden table. We've got some coffee, but we'll come back to that. For anyone that doesn't know um, or hasn't heard our podcast with you before, could you let us know a bit about how the business all came to be? Sure, yeah. So I started Deer Green in 2011. I, I had roasted coffee previously in the year 2000 for three years in Australia and got back to Glasgow and thought there is not really any good coffee here. It seemed to me all to be European brands uh, and, you know, not very well prepared coffees. So it got to 2011 and these years of frustration and I thought I'm just going to buy a coffee roaster uh, so yeah that's how it all started I didn't have any money I didn't really know what I was doing but I kind of had a lot of passion a lot of drive a lot of uh, probably risk taking in me to be able to get it off the ground and uh, just started to sell coffee wholesale only to restaurants and cafes and bars uh, and yeah, so we've got to this place now where we're uh, now in year 12. Uh, we've got a team of 10, so it's not just me, thankfully, anymore. And yeah, we're continuing to do the same thing. We now sell a lot of coffee online. And we host events like the Glasgow Coffee Festival. And yeah, just try and support the industry and, um, and the competition scene and visit coffee farms and do all the other great things that have happened like along the years to support us in our journey. Um, so one of the things you're big on and you just recently won a Scran Award for it was sustainability. So can you tell us a bit about that as well? Sure. Yeah, we were so excited to win that. We uh, went to the awards evening and didn't expect to win. So thank, thank you. <laughs> yeah, it was Yeah, it was really nice for the team. Um, this year we hired someone to be our sustainability coordinator and that was really to help us. We um, tried to measure our footprint for the past three years, but never quite managed to get it at a point where we were happy enough with it or had enough time and resources to put into it. 
Um, so really to get that on the back of hiring someone to focus on it and to complete our carbon report and to publish it and really for us to be authentic and genuine in our net zero pledge really meant a lot to us. We've obviously always kind of, um, you know, had really good environmental practices and always tried to, um, yeah, I guess like just, yeah, just have good practices within business because it's actually cheaper, you know, if you repurpose your waste, you're not paying for waste uplift. If you don't like have the heat and blasting all of the time, you're not having a higher energy cost bill. Like there's just lots of small practices like that that we'd, we had um, implemented and then we got B Corp certification. It was an extra layer of education and knowledge, resources and a network to tap into for us to help us in our journey. So yeah, to win the award was just like, kind of like, that's where we're at just now is like that little peak of, yeah, that's a really great achievement and an acknowledgement of that. So thank you so much to the Scotsman, to the Scan Awards. So one of the things we're talking about in this podcast is trends and drinks. Yeah. Obviously we've spoken a bit about cocktails, but we're here, to do, here today to talk to you about coffee. Yeah. So what are their sort of trends coming through in coffee that you've seen this year so far? It's a funny one to answer because there's been lots over the years and some of them come and go. Um, I think because of the time of year we're at, then cold brew is a big one to talk about. So every year we're like, cold brew, it's so tasty. And every year like you kind of try and like push it and create a recipe for it and tell our customers about it. Um, I think it's gained more momentum. So just to have a cold coffee on a really hot sunny day is really delicious because the last thing you want is a you know hot coffee when it's so warm outside. An extension of that has been the espresso tonic, which is like super refreshing and feels like you're having something really tasty and well crafted and um, you know like having a cocktail or having a, a treat of an alcoholic drink, like day drinking. You know, so having a little espresso tonic is is a really nice thing, and that's again just had a lot more popularity recently in terms of where we're coming from with a, a coffee roastery we see different fermentations in coffee beans so what the cough what's happening to the coffee at coffee origin how they're um, controlling like anaerobic fermentations to create different flavor notes and then how that exhibits itself in the cup how we roast it and can control those flavors as a trend for our little section of the industry and then the chains, you know, are all doing their things, I guess, seasonally, like pumpkin lattes and different syrups. And that's something we don't get too involved in because we like to uh, source really high quality, delicious coffees that we don't want to mask the flavour of too much. We want those flavours to shine in a real sort of purist way. So one of the things that we've, I've written about and we've sort of talked about is olive oil and coffee, talking of the chains as well. So earlier on this year, Starbucks have started putting really specific olive oil in certain coffees so what are your thoughts on that and we also have one here that we can try yeah well I think when you first reached out to me about it I was like all right that's interesting and it made me think of at the start of lockdown when everyone was having a Dalgona coffee and everyone was making this like coffee and orange juice and there was like I and mean, you know there's been bulletproof coffee and there's been little sort of trends that come and go and to me that felt like exactly that it feels like oh let's take a really familiar product and add it to coffee and call it something and promote it and you know try and get a flavor balance with it I think it's originated like you say in Starbucks and I think maybe the first one's Milan and they're like a huge store that they have there so it kind of fits like olive oil it's you know a, a product from that country uh, I tried to source the olive oil that, that uh, they use but 
I, I don't think they it's sold in the UK, so I couldn't get any. So we used an equivalent, um, and we've used a just a ratio of um, I don't know about ten percent olive oil in the in the drink. We've made a flat white, and yeah, it's got a really nice texture. I think you can you know you taste it. Uh, there's an awareness that there's something else in that drink that's not milk and it's not coffee. I think if an espresso is dialed in really well, it's really perfect balance. Uh, the flavours have been extracted really well, so there's a really nice balance of natural acidity, natural sweetness, um, caramelised flavours, and really well textured milk. Then you can actually you can enjoy you can enjoy the coffee. But I don't think the olive oil. For me personally, it's something I'd probably want to add to my drink or request if I was ordering a coffee. Um, so interesting. I find it interesting. I think of all the trends, it's all right. Um, but yeah, not not going there like anytime soon. Maybe. Okay, so I'm going to try it. Here we go. <laughs> go on. <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean. It's it's like there's something you can tell there's something there that's maybe not normally there. And from a texture point of view and also like a, yeah, there is, I mean, it's cooled down a bit now, so it's probably starting to slightly separate a bit. So you can, you can feel like on your lips, there's like a kind of oiliness. I would might, I would probably just think, oh, maybe this is like really fatty milk rather than be like, I can tell there's olive oil. But I, yeah, I'm not necessarily sure what it's bringing to the situation mm-hmm. with this kind of coffee because yeah. it's really good coffee. So it's interesting because some oat milks, you know, they all taste quite different and you can tell um, what's what or a different alternative milk whether it's soy, almonds, whatever and yeah I think if you know if you're vegan and you want to have that and it's a great like experience for me I do drink dairy um, not a lot of it but I would have it that's my choice if I was having a flat white I'd always have dairy milk so you know we source really great dairy milk we use Moscow Farm so yeah I, I feel like yeah, it's just watering down something that I, what my perception of how good that could be for me. So um, I am one of those people who possibly psychosomatically only has one coffee and I've had more than one, I get like a mad headache or feel really wired. Um, one of the things I sort of, we've talked about a little bit before we sat down was a trend of like low calf or no calf. So can you tell us a bit about that? Because I feel like I'm very on board with this. <laughs> sure. Okay. Oh yeah. Perfect customer. <laughs> um, yeah, I guess like years ago, it was like, you know, all the braces are getting the death before decaf, like tattoo. And it was always like kind of shunned in the, the sort of inner circles of specialty coffee. And really because it was, it was quite low quality decaf, it didn't taste good. It was like an afterthought. Um, the coffee consumer, the customer wasn't prioritised if they drank decaf. A uh, bit of a roll of the eyes, maybe. Um, decaf behind the coffee bar would be stale. It might be pre-ground. It wouldn't be dosed accurately. just wouldn't be taken seriously. Um, I've heard through importers that quite often what they do if a green raw coffee was getting a bit tired, they would just send it off to get decaffeinated, which means you get a tired coffee um, that's ageing and starting to taste a little bit papery and woody that's losing its, like, um, you know, they ha- it's about 9 to 12% of moisture content inside a coffee seed, and that's where the aromatics are, and that's what's released when it's roasted. If it's older, that starts to dry out, so literally it's organic matter, it's going to dry out and it will just t- taste like wood. Um, 
So a lot of decaf tasted like that because it was old coffee that then got decaffeinated just to manage stocks. Now decaf has been taken seriously and we're getting coffees in here in the roastery which we're roasting for tasting blind and we can't even tell it's decaf. It's just so, so delicious and we're so happy. And a, a lot of like processes to decaffeinate have advanced and there's, there's processes that are quite gentle, way of decaffeinating which doesn't move, remove flavour compounds as well. So you're retaining the flavour compounds. Some of them even add a sweetness back in so it's a kind of fake added sweetness that maybe isn't natural to the plant but um yeah has made decaf even tastier and i think that's in line with that the coffee industry has progressed and um, more people are drinking coffee therefore there's also more decaf drinkers um, we noticed this in lockdown when we basically pivoted to be a um, online fulfillment coffee business <laughs> for a while because that's uh, there was no um, none of our customers were open for a while and the demand we had for decaf was insane uh, and I think that's you know it's still there but yeah I think you know people who drink decaf actually like coffee they're not drinking it for caffeine they're drinking it because they want to have a really lovely delicious cup of coffee and there's more and more people um, can find that delicious decaf and drinking more. Um, that's also, like you say, um, meant that there's a low-calf uh, coffee available. Um, as far as I know, there there's coffee grown now that has a lower caffeine content. There's one we actually taste, or there's two we tasted today in the roastery. We had samples sent um, to us to try and uh, we're looking at that. We're looking at different offerings to for this market. Yeah, Nice. That's good. Um, so we're coming to the end of the summer, unfortunately, but what's next for your planning for the year? Uh, well, um, I guess we've got to really think about Christmas. So we're already thinking about what's, what coffees we're going to use in our festive blend. Uh, we're looking at designs for a festive blend label. We do 12 days of Christmas and we're considering what 12 coffees we're going to put in that product. And that's literally all just about to happen. We've got meetings lined up the next couple of weeks. So that's going to be fun next exercise for coffee tasting for us in the roastery. Nice. Well, thank you very much and look forward to seeing that. Thank you. We'll send you some. <laughs> Thanks to Michaela and Lisa for being my guests on this episode and thanks to you too for listening. Please remember to rate, review and subscribe so you never miss an episode of Scran. Scran's Laudable Podcast is co-produced and hosted by me, Rosalind Erskine and co-produced, edited and mixed by Kelly Crichton. I'm pleased to let you know that National World has launched the brand new Freeview channel 276 Shots. Shots is brought to you by a network of journalists across the country who are transforming stories at the heart of your community into great TV. You'll find true crime stories, football news and analysis, plus coverage of lifestyle, TV, film and much more.